Welcome to the sermons and teachings from the Catalyst Fellowship with Ipai Michael. We hope the message you're about to listen to will edify you and cause you to experience exponential growth. And now, the message. Alright, so we've been doing a series called Christ Church Today and Every Day. Hallelujah. And we've been trying to answer the question, what should the Church of Christ be? today. You see, the story of the church and what the church is supposed to be hasn't always been the way we see it today. You know, a lot of us grew up today without learning a lot about church history and where we're coming from. And I feel like many times to know who we are, we have to look back to know where we're coming from. We have to know the things that have happened so we know what defines us today. When you, when you evangelize a lot, you would hear people tell you Christianity is a white man's religion. You know. So, how do you answer people? Is that true or is that not true? I get what I'm saying. How do you answer such people if you yourself don't know the history of the church or where we're coming from as a people? Hallelujah. So, we have to know where we're coming from as a church. Open your Bibles with me, everybody. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. We've been reading this text in every teaching because this was the first time that the word ecclesia was used in the Bible. And that's the word, that's the Greek word that means church. Now I want us to read together. One, two, go. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Next verse. And they said, Some say thou art John, John the Baptist. Some, Elias, that's Elijah. Others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Next verse. He said unto them, But whom do you say that I am? Next verse. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Hallelujah. A lot of us don't know what this declaration was. Because go to the next verse and see Jesus' response. Let's read together. I want to go. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Why was Jesus so satisfied with this response? Go to the previous verse again. Simon says, Thou art the Christ. You see, a lot of us think that Christ is Jesus' surname. I always make that joke. But it is not. Christ there, or the Christ there, is a title from the Old Testament. Now, one thing I like to tell people is the Bible is a book that must be read together. It's a whole book. You read from the old into the new. Hallelujah. You read together, not separate. You see, the white line you have in your Bible there. Is what used to make us think that they are two separate books. But they are to be, it's to be read together because the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament what? Revealed. And the central theme of the whole Bible is Jesus and the salvation plan. Amen. I get what I'm teaching you. So, to understand many times text in the new, you have to go to the old. And many times to understand the explanation of texts and things you see in the old, you have to come to the new. You see, failure to do this will bring out different types of error. 
when you read the old without coming to the new, you might brood legalism. When you, bring, when you read the new without understanding the old, you might be extreme in many aspects. Are you getting what I'm saying? So, it must be read together. Now, the word there, the Christ, is the title for the Messiah that Israel had always been expecting. I get what I'm saying. Let's see if we can read a few texts in Chronicles. I think I, I documented one just for our knowledge. I think it's First Chronicles 17, 11. First Chronicles 17, 11. Are we all there? Alright, let's read together one to go. And it shall come to pass when thy days be expired that thou must go to be with thy fathers. Now this is God speaking to who? David. David was a king, right? At the time. He says, I would raise up thy seed after thee, which shall be of thy sons. I will establish his kingdom. Next verse. He shall build me a house or a house like KJV says, <laughs> and I will establish what? His throne forever. Next verse. I will be his father and he shall be my son. And I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him that was before thee. Hallelujah. Now, in the Old Testament, whosoever heard this might have thought it was just God talking to David about his son. But there are some things in that text that do not make sense with respect to Solomon. Because he says that I would be God to him, I'll be his father, and he will be what? My son. In the next verse, he says that I will establish his throne forever. When you read it and you think about Solomon, his throne was not established forever. This was what Paul was trying to argue about in Acts chapter 2 when he was preaching after Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit came on them. That he said that the, the tomb of the patriarch David is with us. I get what I'm saying. And so he could not have been the one that the prophet spoke about when he was speaking. Their job was to prove to the people that Jesus is this Messiah. Now this promise to them was that God is going to send someone to them who will be a king forever. Now there's another prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53. Many of you might have read it before. It's the prophecy of the suffering servant. Of somebody who is going to, who is going to come and die. You know where you say that thing? By his tribes were healed. It was him he was talking about. So as an Israelite, in that time, you would have been expecting that there's someone who is going to be a savior, who's going to die for your sins. And you must have been expecting that there's another person who's going to be king forever. No wonder the Pharisees could not see him as who he was and they wanted to crown him. They were expecting a king. They thought he was going to be a political king. They did not know he was coming to reign in the heart of believers. Amen. So, let's go back to that text now. Simon Peter said to Jesus, let's go back to Matthew. Uh, um, we're reading Matthew, right? 16. Peter responded and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Next verse. Let's read together. One to go. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now look at Jesus' response. Next verse. Want to go? 
And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hallelujah. Now this is powerful. And that word church there, that was the first time it was used in the New Testament. Now to understand this, you have to understand the geographical context. Where they were is called Caesarea Philippi. And that place was the center of everything paganism in their day. They had a pit there that, you know, fell down into something they didn't know where it was going. And they believed that that was the gates to hell. And they would usually come there and do different types of sacrifices to the God there. You know, they would have sex with goats and do all sorts of weird things in the place. You know, that was common with paganism at the time. Ephesus was even a seat of paganism. So, Jesus now walks there and says, you are Peter. Upon this rock, what is what rock is he talking about? Upon the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Remember, he says, I'll be his father, I'll be my son. That's why the sonship of Jesus was not a problem to them then. It's us that we're having a problem. Why is he called the son and called the father? No, we, it's clear in scriptures. Are you getting what I'm teaching you? He says, thou art Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. He says, and the gate of Hades, that is paganism, no matter how high it is, no matter what is in this world, will never do what? Prevail against it. Hallelujah. It will never what? Prevail against it. This means very simply that the church of Christ is built on the revelation of knowing who Christ is. Are you getting what I'm teaching you? To identify a church of Christ is about the message. Hallelujah. And Jesus says, I will build my church. I will create an assembly of people and the gate of hell will not prevail against it. So what is the church? It's an assembly of, of his people, Christ's people, called out on the revelation of him as Lord and Savior. Lord, why? Because he is their king. Savior, why? Because he died for their sin. Amen. This is how we identify the church. Jesus made a promise here that would later be fulfilled after his death and resurrection. He said, I will build my church. He says, upon this revelation, he says that the gate of hell will not prevail against it. In Acts chapter 2 verse 1, we see the fulfillment of that promise. Let's go there, everybody. Acts chapter 2 verse 1. We're going to open a lot of texts, so just pay attention. Follow me all through. Alright, we're going to read from verse 1 to 4. Are you all with me? Alright, are we ready to read? One, two, go. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Next verse. And they appeared unto them cloven tongues as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. Next verse. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let me ask you a question. When were the apostles saved? After the death of Jesus or at Pentecost? Tricky, right? Alright. One thing to learn is to let Bible interpret. Where? Why? That's when the Holy Spirit came upon them, right? Because the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, it says, In whom you also trusted, 
after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Anybody who is saved is sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. There was a difference in their time because it was the first time it was happening. So it took a few days. But a person is saved when the Holy Ghost comes inside of him. Hallelujah. Because the Holy Ghost seals him. Are you getting what I'm teaching you? So this here, these people here in Acts, when the Holy Ghost came upon them, were the first people who were saved. The first people that that prophecy about Christ calling his church, they were the first people who it was fulfilled in their lives. Hallelujah. So until the Spirit came upon them, they were not saved. And when the Spirit came upon them here, the church of Christ was born. You know, you guys know that song? That I'm in the morning that you rose all of heaven, held its breath. Till the stone was moved for good, for the Lamb had conquered death. And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe. For the souls of those who had come to the Father are restored. It says, and the church of Christ was born, and the Spirit lit the flame. Hallelujah. This first set of people, the people who that was fulfilled, you know, in their lives. And now the church of Christ is formed, and they spread from here. Listen, on this day, 3,000 people responded to Peter's preaching. And they were brought into Christ's church. Now, what I'm doing here for you is history. There are four parts of this historical teaching I'm going to teach, I'm going to do for you before we move to the next part. We're in the age of the early church. So mark where you're writing now, the age of the early church. You're like, so we came to church, not history class. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, it was it was Papa Kenneth E. Hagin that said that if every church is doing what they need to do, there will be no need for Bible schools. And that's just the truth. So just get ready when you come to Catholic Church with your notes. <laughs> Hallelujah. Get ready when you come to Catholic Church. Amen. Alright, let's go ahead. Now, at this time 3,000 people were added to the church. For the church suffered persecution. Oh, a lot. But that's the thing about the Church of Christ. And that's why even today I tell people when they think that the Church of Christ is going to, you know, end. I get it, but the toughest times in the church is usually when the church spreads more. So they faced a lot of persecution, but the places they chased them to, they preached there. That was how Philip got to Samaria. Are you getting what I'm saying? That was how Philip got to Samaria. But something happened in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, everybody. You might know it by heart. If, if you don't, it will be on the screen. But open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Let's read together, everybody. Want to go? And you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and all to the uttermost parts of the earth. Hallelujah. A, a lot of times when we read this text, the focus is usually on receiving power. But he also says something. He says they will receive power to be what? Witnesses. Are you getting what I'm teaching you? They will receive power to be what? Witnesses. He says they will witness him where? In Jerusalem in Judea, in Samaria, and where? To the uttermost parts of the earth. Meaning through them, the gospel will reach where the ends of the world. Everywhere. Hallelujah. So the apostles had the responsibility by the power of the Holy Ghost to spread the gospel to the world. Are you getting what I'm teaching you? To the world. Now, if we're going to understand what, because what I'm trying to show you, now, if we're going to know the message of the church, we must know what the apostles preached. If we're going to know what the apostles preached, we're going to look at the things they said. If the Bible says that they received the Holy Ghost so they can be witnesses of Jesus everywhere, what were they witnessing? The only way to know what they were witnessing is to look at the things they thought after this process.
get that? Logic is clear? Alright, let's look at the things they witnessed. Acts chapter 2. You know, I told you in the first service we had here that the, the vision of every church is the Great Commission. Do you understand what I'm saying? Whatever Jesus said to them on that day is, a, is the mission. Now, if you're looking for the message of the church, it has to be what they were witnessing. Are you getting what I'm teaching you? The problem is that in the church today, we have we've minored on the major and major and minor. Meaning the things that we should focus on, we don't focus on. And the most important thing that builds us as a church, we don't want to talk about it as much. It's not moving the church. <laughs> right? It's not. <laughs> Amen. Acts chapter 2, everybody. Verse 29. Acts chapter 2, verse 29. Are we good? Is he on the screen? No? I'm going to read. He says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak to you of the patriarch David. Who is speaking here? This is Peter speaking. This was the first preaching after Pentecost. Paul had not joined them at the time. Amen. Now, he says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak to you of the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ, that title again, to sit on his throne. Remember that promise of that text we read? That's what he's talking about here. He says in verse 31, He foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. What is Peter trying to say? Peter is trying to say that if God promised David that his son is going to be king and is going to be on the throne forever, it could not have been David himself that would be that king. It could not have been any of, of his sons. Why? The patriarch David is dead. His tomb is with us. So this is not talking about him. He said by saying that, God was prophesying about Jesus. Are you getting this? Who is lost? Nobody. Okay. He said by saying this, he was prophesying about Jesus. That his, he, 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 his flesh did not see corruption. Verse 32. Let's read verse 32 together, everybody. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all what? So what were they witnessing? His resurrection. So if the Bible says that they shall receive power after the Holy Ghost come upon them, and they will be witnesses unto him, what were they going to witness about Jesus? His resurrection. Not just his resurrection, that he died, he was buried, and he resurrected. Are you getting what I'm teaching you? Let's go to Acts chapter 3. What am I trying to show you guys? What the apostles were supposed to witness. What they were supposed to teach, because this is the message of the church. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 3, everybody. Verse 13. Alright, let's read together, 13 to 15. One to go. The God of Abraham and of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, had glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up, and denied him in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. Next verse. But you denied the Holy One, and the just, and desired a murderer be granted to you. Next verse. And killed the prince of life, whom God had raised up from the dead, whereof we are all. So what are they witnessing? The resurrection of Jesus. Why is it important to witness the resurrection of Jesus? Because if Jesus truly resurrected from the dead, he is the Christ. Are you getting this, everybody? Is this clear? I'll do one more. The apostles were on trial in Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. We'll read 29 to 32. Want to go, everybody? 
Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Next verse. Him God exalted with his right hand to be prince and savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Next verse. And we are what? Are you getting this? You see, Acts, the book of Acts gives us a full narrative of what happened with the early church. We've read Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 5. And what are we seeing that they were witnessing? They were telling everybody everywhere they went to that Jesus died. First of all, they said, you killed him. He's buried, but he's what? He's resurrected. Is this clear to everybody? One more, just so that you won't think I'm lying. <laughs> Acts 10, 38. <laughs> we'll read 38 to 43. What I like to do is prove beyond reasonable doubt. Just to show you beyond reasonable doubt that what I'm saying is true according to scriptures, right? Alright. Acts 10, 38. Everybody want to go. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. 39. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and Jerusalem. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm reading NKJV. I'm reading KJV, so it might be confusing. Alright, sorry. Alright, and we are what? Witnesses of the things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they what? And hanged on a tree, his death, right? Next verse. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, next verse, not to all the people, but unto witnesses, chosen before God. So, they saw him eat, they saw him drink, meaning that they were supposed to witness that he's what? He's risen. Is this clear? So when I ask you, what was the church supposed to witness? What were the apostles supposed to witness? What would you say? His death his burial, and his resurrection. That is the gospel. The gospel is the message that God has accepted the death of his son as payment for our sins, meaning he had to die. And has ever since bestowed eternal life on anyone who believed. The resurrection of Jesus is, you see, I, I taught something last week. I said, Jesus didn't just come to die. He came to be a prototype. And that's why he had to be fully man. Because if it is somewhere in history that a man has died and a man resurrected, there would never be a question in this world if there's life after death. Every religion promises you paradise and life after death. Christianity is the only religion that has a risen Messiah to show for it. Show me someone who has done it. And this is, his, this is historic. I'm telling you, pagan sources all talk about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. They might define the final details, but they all say the same thing. Jewish historians say it. Roman historians say it. I get what I'm teaching you. And so this was the message of the early church. Jesus, the Son of God, has come to this world and he has died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again, fulfilling the prophecy from God, making him the king we were expecting. This was the message. And this should still be our message. Now, a lot has happened in church history till today. But we have a way to view things. There's a way we must learn how to view things. 
And the Bible, and as we go on, this one thing you must learn is that the Bible must be a single authority on how we view how the church should be today. Because the different things that have happened in the church thus far has sort of, in a way, sort of taken our focus from the real things that matter. Hallelujah. It's exciting to learn. All right, let's go to the next age. We're going to talk about the age of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, why am I doing this? Like I said, we have to look at the past to understand the now. We've heard the message that they were preaching. We're going to have to compare. Are we preaching the same today? Or are we preaching every other thing? I used to say something. I say that the, the same gospel that got you saved is the same gospel that will cause you to mature. The problem now is that we've mixed every other thing with the gospel. We're doing business class on Sunday. So it's now more on prosperity than, you know, the most important things. Amen. We have to look back to know what we should be preaching today. Hallelujah. And I'm saying this because not many believers are equipped with what they need to know how to discern the right church. So if we're going to claim to be a good church for you, we must tell you why we think so, right? So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. Now, let's talk about the age of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, this is church history. The Church of Christ started to spread after all of this happened. There was great persecution. Christians were persecuted a lot. I mean, the first gathering that, you know, church leaders came for, you know, when you read the books about it, some men came with broken, you know, limbs, you know, eye sockets off. They had been persecuted a lot. But something happened at some point. A Roman emperor known as Constantine, claimed to have had a conversion experience. So, because of him, seven years later, Christianity became the official religion of Rome. Christians were no longer persecuted. Are you learning, are you learning something? Is this clear to everybody? Okay, so, Christians were no longer persecuted at the time. And so, seven years after this, when you place, you know, it was hard to remove Roman and Christian. You, you have to just place them together. Because it became, you know, the official language and then Christians were, you know, free to practice there. I get what I'm, what I'm teaching you. So, but at this time also, some people retreated and started becoming monks because they couldn't just understand what they were seeing. So they went, you know, to stay on mountains and they lived as monks over there. Now in the next century, there were various councils that held because there were wars between different factions. People were trying to decide what is true. You know, um, I did a teaching about, I think, two months ago where I expounded to some of the people that follow our ministry in Nigeria on some of those councils and what they were trying to determine. Some said Jesus is not fully man. He's just fully God. Some said he's fully God. He's not fully man. You know, so there were different ideas. And there were, you know, there was different arguments and everybody was trying to figure out what to do and where to stay. But now as the Roman Empire grew weaker, the church became more powerful. Because the popes at the time had now been given positions of authority in the government. So you know how you have, you know, um, um, in the government you might have the president, you might have this, but then you have the pope. This was what was happening at the time because Christianity had become the official religion at the time in that part. And so the church became more powerful. But something happened also that many of you might not have heard of. There was a great war between what people call the Eastern and the Western church. The church in Rome was different from the church outside of Rome. And so there was a war between them on who is true and who is not true. 
I get what I'm saying. So, how many of you know of the Orthodox Church? So that was the other side, and then we had the Catholic Church. So that was the, the, the war between the Roman Catholic and the Orthodox Church. And at the time, the Bishop of Rome had started to call himself the Pope. The Pope was never used before then. He started to call himself the Pope, which means the Father. And this did not sit well with the other church as well. Because they're like, why are you calling yourself the Father? Like, how do you place yourself over all of us? But because of the power that the Roman Empire had, the church in Rome had sort of tried to dominate every other church and called themselves the one true church. Now I'm teaching you this so you know where we're coming from. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm sure someone's like, why are we doing this history class? But you would understand towards the end of the teaching. Amen. Now, because of this, there were different things that happened. There were theological reasons, there were procedure, procedural reasons, there were structural reasons why there was this war. And then in the end, they excommunicated themselves. The church in the east was not talking to the one in the west. And that was it. Now, the Roman Catholic Church continued to hold power with the Pope's claiming authority over all levels of lives as king. Corruption and greed had become part of what was going on there. It was more of a political position than a spiritual position. The church also started to try to convert people with force. So rather than Christians being persecuted, pagans were the ones that were being persecuted at the time. And so we had a lot of converts who were not truly converted at heart, but for fear of life, became Christians. Does this make sense to everybody? Do you know where we are in the timeline? The Roman Catholic Church, right? All right, great. Now let's go to the next age, the age of the Reformation. All right, let's go to the age of the Reformation. Now the age of the Reformation brought people questioning the ways of the church. So there was like a comparison between what the church was supposed to be doing and what the church is today. There were people who could not recognize the church that they had today. What is going on now? This is not the church we received. It had become political. It had become different from what they received. Things like baptism of the dead, baptism of infants, penance, and many other structured approach had become part of the church, the Roman Catholic Church at least. I get what I'm saying. The church was launching expensive crusades to take Jerusalem back because Jerusalem fell. Are you learning something? So, these guys were like, you know what, I'm not going to do this. I've never ever heard of indulgences. Have you ever heard of indulgence? So what they do in indulgence is it's a full or partial remission of sin after a sinner confesses his sin. And so the Pope actually claimed power to be able to grant indulgence. I mean, but biblically, who is supposed to be able to forgive sins? God, Jesus, right? He died for our sins. It's by believing in his death that forgiveness comes. You see some of the problems. So in 1517, a German monk called Martin Luther. Now you know the name. Familiar, popular name. Some people don't even know. Okay, that's cool, that's cool. You're learning. How many of you know Martin Luther? Not the Martin Luther. I have a dream. <laughs> no. Martin Luther, he was a monk who came back and he's like, you know what, enough is enough. We can't take this anymore. This is different from what we received. And so he wrote something called a thesis. And you know, rumor has it that he went to the church, the front of the church, and he nailed it on the church. Telling them that, you know what, and, and, and the core thing he was trying to tell them was that salvation was by faith, and faith alone in Christ Jesus. It's a lot, not just this, there was a lot. He said things like, sola fide, by faith alone, sola scriptura, true scriptures alone, you know, I can't ex explain all of that today. But the goal was to correct the church that works will not be the way for us to get salvation. But it's going to come by what? By faith. Other reformers followed him like John Calvin. You've heard of Calvinists. Probably they followed him. 
Anyways, I'm not going to bore you with all of that detail. I just wanted to know that people came and reformed the church in quotes. Now, so you know where you are from. The reformers is where we have the Protestant church from. Pentecostal churches, all of that came from that reformation. I get what I'm saying. But then you still have the Catholic churches and you still have the Orthodox churches, right? And then we have many cults in between somewhere, somewhere. <laughs> right? We have many churches. Now, the age of missions, between 1790 and 1900, there was a lot of missionary work. And the reason was because colonization started to happen. So Christians saw it as an opportunity to, to you know what, send Christians there. Nigeria, it happened. A few other countries, it happened. Christianity got there, right? So is Christianity a white man's religion? No? Okay, great. <laughs> you, we just have to be sure, right? Because people will say it. Let's talk about the church today then. So that was the age of missions. They spread the gospel everywhere. Today I, I heard that the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church have tried to reconcile in one way. We all try to agree with each other and say, hey, yeah, we're good. And then Protestant churches, then there's Pentecostalism at the side, you know. And apparently, Pentecostalism in North America is totally different from what we had in Nigeria. You tell someone you're from Pentecostal church, they're like, and I'm like, why? And I, I feel like here, Pentecostalism is known by like jumping over chairs and like being rough and yeah, exactly. So I'm like, no, no, no. That's that's not what it, that's not how I grew up. At least we have to know we're sounding the word as well. But even though Pentecostalism had a lot of influence in rural areas in Africa, and that's because there was it was late for modern medicine to come there. And so you might think you don't need that here, but when you are in a place like Nigeria, and there's an influenza outbreak, and the only way you are getting saved is by going to church. Then you know that God is real. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? I'm telling you, there was a man who they put a virus on his arm, John Gilek. He was in Africa, anyways, and he died. Say what you want about it. It died. He was viewed on the microscope. There were people in Nigeria who all they could do, they were called healing ministry. So, what you're seeing today that, that is an extreme is as a result of that. It's an extreme of what happened then. It's not necessarily wrong. Do we believe in the healing power of God? Yes, we do. Have people been extreme with it? Yes, they have. But don't correct an extreme with another extreme by saying that miracles don't exist. Just be grateful you don't need one. I, I hear what I'm saying. Be grateful you don't need one. Because there are people every day, even in this ministry, there are people every day. I was teaching one day online. I got a leading by the Spirit, you know, to say someone had a blood condition. I called it out. A girl came to our church for the first time. And she said, oh, she was the one. And I prayed for her. She went back home. She didn't join our meeting for a very long time. The next time she came, she was so excited. I didn't get what was going on. And then she told us that the blood condition was gone. Listen, it might not be the same for everybody, but we believe that God heals. Hallelujah. Let's not talk down on it because we are scared of it. We don't know how it works. It's easier to say the things you are scared of don't exist. Because you can't explain it does not mean it doesn't exist. And there's nothing so mystical about it. If you know the God you serve, you know he's a healer. There's a whole history about it here. He's been healing all through. Hallelujah. So if it happened then, it can happen today. Amen. Anyways, that's not what I was teaching. So where do we stand today? Have we lost the message of the church? Anyways, that's why I said the Bible must be the absolute authority. 
Is denomination God's plan? You know, I, I put on my story, I said, you shouldn't miss this teaching. Because I, I, I'm really trying to help you think through what we have. This was a question I had when I got saved. Why do we have many churches? Like, why? And why is everybody saying different things? God, can't you just tell them, don't say this? It, it was something that, that bothered me for a long time. So like, why is everybody saying different things? Can't we just come together and just discuss and say what is true, <laughs> what is not, and move on? But the first thing we must learn from church history this morning is that the most important thing is the message of Jesus. And we must learn how to commit the things we've received. How to preserve what we've received. The divisions that have come in the church have all been because it's hard to preserve the message and the practice of the church. And so one question, like I said, is how can we recognize a true church today? Anyways, I'm going to do another thing that I did last time. Let's think about it. Right? Let's think about it together. The only way to certainly know what something is is to know what it is not. Does that make sense? Like, if you know what something is not, then you know what it is. At least you know what it can never be. So let's look at what the church cannot be. Let's look at what the true church of Christ is not. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 20. We're going to read many texts now, so I want you to be very active with me now. Alright? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20. Are we all there? Alright, let's read together. We're going to read 20 and 21. One to go. Rather, are we ready? Are we ready? Alright, one to go. Oh, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that that ye should have fellowship with the devils. Next verse. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the tables of demons. Now, he speaks about fellowship. It means, first of all, a true church of Christ would never have fellowship with the devil. Listen, it doesn't matter what, how you think about it. This is clear in scriptures. You can't say I'm of the Lord, but I'm having fellowship with the devil. This is clear. Does this make sense? You can have fellowship with the devil. 1 Corinthians 12, 2. First Corinthians 12, 2. Are you all there? Alright, let's go together. One to go. You know that you were Gentiles carried away onto these dumb idols, even as what? Sorry, am I in the right place? Okay, yes. As you were led. Next verse. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a cause. And no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. So how do you know a true church of Christ? Their declaration that Jesus is Lord. And anyone who doesn't declare Jesus as Lord is not a true church of Christ. Are you getting this? This, this is in the scripture. The problem is that we don't check. It's, it's very clear. It says no man, and it says the spirit of God is going to witness in your heart that Jesus is Lord. Revelations 2.9, that book you never want to read. <laughs> Revelations 2.9. Are you all there? All right, let's read together. One, to go. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. 
and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not but are the synagogue of Satan. He was talking about people who claim to be Jews truly but they are not. He was talking about the Jewish assembly that claimed to be Jews but they were not. Amen. Let's go to Acts chapter 20. You know what I'm doing? You're reading the Bible a lot. <laughs> so even if even if you don't do it usually, coming to church, you get to read the Bible. Is, is that making sense? Good? Alright. I was laughing like while we were reading, I was like, yes, I'm going to make them read the Bible. <laughs> Acts 20, 28. Alright, we're going to read 28 to 31. 1, 2, go. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you what? Overseers. To feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. So, how did he purchase the church of God? By his blood, right? The church of Christ are people who are saved, who believe that his blood has washed them clean, right? Next verse, 29. Let's read. For I know this, that after my departing, shall grievous wolves enter amongst you, not sparing the flock. Next verse. Also of your own selves shall men rise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Question. One of the reasons why people break out of other churches is to draw disciples. You know men love people following them. Oh, men love people following them. Men just crave power. And where is the, I mean, you know how churches are. People honor you because they see you as a man of God. That's power that people crave without even having a calling. You see, that's the problem. Anybody can just start a church today. But you must ask, who are you from? Where are you from? Who taught you? Who taught you? Like, let's trace your lineage in the faith. Let's know who your spiritual father is and who was his so we know the message you are bringing. Are you learning something? Next verse. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn you every, I cease not to warn every, to warn everyone night and day with tears. So for three years, he's doing what I'm doing to you now. Be careful. Because people would come with their own intentions and their own intents. And they're going to come just because they want to take disciples. And they're just going to take people away. They're going to, they're going to bring different things to you. They're going to say sweet and enticing things. Men can speak well. And when you know, men that speak well can influence people easily. So they just need to tell you something interesting. Give you what you're looking for. And that's why if you are in church just for money, they will easily get you. If you're in church just for the good stuff, they will easily get you. Are you getting this? He says he was warning them. Galatians chapter 5, verse 9. Galatians chapter 5, verse 9. Are you learning something, everyone? Alright. Galatians 5, 9. Alright, let's read together one to go. A little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. Who knows what a leaven is? Yeast. When you bake, you add yeast for it to swell, right? To rise. Now, people who bake know that they keep yeast very far from the dough because just a tiny bit of it would still cause it to swell. Or to rise, rather. Now, when he was saying this, he wasn't actually teaching about cooking. He was talking about doctrine. He was saying a little piece of false information 
is going to affect the rest of the, the theology you have. Just a little bit is going to affect everything. You know that text that says evil communication comes good manners? Do you know he wasn't talking about friendship? He was actually talking about the word. He was talking about the doctrine of, of people who are not saying the right things. So he was saying a little bit of wrong information from the wrong person is going to affect everything you know. And that, it's a big problem. You know, I've counseled people before and the person is like, you know what, I don't believe in God anymore. And I'm like, why? So because this happened to me. And I'm like, but the Bible says that in this world you face tribulations. So God did not promise you a better life, actually. He promised you eternal life. Am I saying the truth? He promised you eternal life, not a better life. He actually said that in this world you face tribulations. He just said, have no fear. I've overcome the world. Meaning that you'll find a solution, but he didn't say that you will not suffer. He says, even though you walk to the valley of shadow, he, will not say, he did not say you will not walk to the valley, valley of shadow of death. He says, even if you walk through it. Some people think it's impossible for them to walk through it. So a little problem, you say, is there a God? No. That, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't act that way. Bad things would happen, not because there is no God, but because the earth is falling. Listen, there will be tornadoes. There will be a tsunami somewhere. There will be earthquakes. People will die. Is it God's fault? No. The, the world is falling. The earth is falling. Bad things will continue to happen. Are you getting this? So when I listen to the radio, I'm like, who taught you this? How did you learn this? <laughs> that bad things can happen to you. They actually, you'll be surprised that there are people who preach that. There are people who preach that wealth is gained. That if you have more money, God favored you. If you have less, you probably didn't. But that's wrong. Very wrong. Very wrong. Because if you look at the people God has walked with all through scriptures, they were poor. <laughs> He's a God who qualifies the people he chooses. He doesn't choose just the qualified. He works with all walks of people. He worked with rich men to preserve his tomb for his resurrection. He also worked with poor men. Peter was a fisherman. <laughs> he picked him up and he said, follow me. What we have is, is, is valuable that even rich men want it. Nicodemus came to Jesus to ask him because no matter how much money you have in this life, you don't have the cure to eternal life. I read somewhere yesterday that there are 10,000 researchers that are researching in Japan or China. I don't know where the dictator is from. Researching on the cure to afterlife for him. For death. In North Korea, right? I don't know yet. Probably. <laughs> Amen. It says a little level. level. Emphasis on a little. That's why you have to be careful what you listen to. It's important because what builds you. Yeah. You have, you have to guard your heart. In 2 Timothy 4.3, it says, For time will come, they will not endure sound doctrine. It says, After their own loss, they shall heap themselves to teachers having itching ears. People want to hear the next best thing. They can't stay in one place. Have you seen people who don't have a particular home church? They visit everywhere. Someone say, oh, there is a depth in this place. I'm like, okay, what is that? You have to be careful. Because someone says he wants to introduce you to mysteries. <laughs> and if you're not asking what those mysteries are, you have to be careful. First John chapter 2 verse 10. Now, all these texts I'm reading... It's basically telling you how the Bible views doctrine. 
it helps you see that what characterizes a true church is the message, the gospel, the teaching. No one speaking by the Spirit calls Jesus cursed. In a large measure, this was, this was an agreement with the reformers. Martin Luther defined the church as the congregation of saints in which the gospel is rightly taught and the sacraments rightly administered. I'm not 100% in the sacraments yet, but sacraments rightly administered. And sacraments means rites and customs. That doesn't mean we don't have rites and customs here that we received, you know. But um, the meaning of many of them, and I'm still going to teach about many of them. I'm going to teach about the meaning of communion. I'm going to teach about the meaning of baptism, you know, probably next year because I've done for this year is full. But I will teach about all those things. So, same thing with John Calvin. John Calvin said, wherever we see the word of God purely preached and heard, the sacraments administered according to Christ's institution, there it is not to be doubted the church of God exists. A church. People find church today based on the closest place to their houses. But we have to do more. We, we have to listen. What is being said there? How is it going to feed me? I said it that we've come to church a lot without being edified, and it has to change. We have to come to church knowing that something has impacted us spiritually and we're better for it. That's how I know church, anyways. That's why I'm most excited on a Sunday to go to church because, first of all, I'm going to meet lovely people that I, you know, that I know. And then secondly, not first anyways, but it's one of the things. And then we get to fellowship together and edify each other. And then we get to worship God. Hallelujah. So, when a church does not hold a major doctrine of salvation, run away. Once it's not clear, especially chapter 4 verse 11. Are you learning something? <laughs> Alright, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. He says, he gave some apostles. Now I'm going to break this text down to you. If I say things you don't understand, don't get carried away. Just follow the train of thought. Now, a lot of times when we read it, we think the Bible says he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some. We think the Bible is saying that he gave some people the gift of apostleship. He gives no, but that's not what he's saying. Because just here, the word some there is the Greek word M-E-N, men. And that word means truly. It means truly. Now, the Bible was not written in English. Jesus did not speak English. Old Testament written in Hebrew. New Testament in Greek. You have sprinkles of Aramaic in between them. Because of translation, meaning can be obscured. So, the word some there in the Greek is men. And men means truly. So when you read it, he gave truly apostles, truly prophets, truly evangelists, truly pastors and teachers. So in this case, the men are the gifts. Does that make sense? If, if you read it the other way around, it looks like he gave some people the gift of being pastors and, you know, but the men are the gifts. He gave these men as gifts. So your that's how you, you have to learn how to learn how to receive in church. Your pastor is God's gift to you for the purpose of what he will say next. What's the next verse? For the perfecting of the saints. The word perfecting there is the word catatismos. It means furnishing. When you get a new apartment, it's not 100% habitable because you don't have a bed, you don't have a chair. So it, it, it's a bit weird and rough. You know, myself and my wife slept on the floor the first time we moved into our apartment. You know, the next day was when we got air bed and then we started buying furniture and stuff like that. It wasn't convenient or comfortable. 
But it was a house. We had a house. Do you understand what I'm saying? We had a house. We had a place to stay. But then, perfecting there is what the pastors, the evangelists, what they do for the church. They perfect. They make it habitable. They make you effective as a believer. You learn to pray. You learn to study. You learn what to do. You learn to... The problem is people don't have people who would help them grow. Are you learning something? So, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, what edifying is the Greek word oikodomia means to build up. To build up like an edifice. So, these men of God are building you up. He gave truly apostles to build you up. To what end? Next verse. It says, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man onto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The problem is that we think that this means till we all come to unity despite faith. But it says till we all come to what? The unity of the faith. He uses a definite article there. The. Meaning there is a faith. And we must come to unity of that faith. A lot of us think we can, it means that, that unity with other churches is that we oh, that's a nice church, you should go there. That, that's not actually unity. He's talking about unity in the faith here, and he's saying it's the job of ministry gives to build you up, meaning unanimity in the faith. We agree on the message. That's unity. It's not just about you teaching something else, you're teaching that salvation is by works, I'm teaching that salvation is by faith, and you think we're united. No, we're not. No, we're not, because one is the way the Bible says, which is by faith. The other is what you're saying, which is by words, which will cause problems for people. Because they'll try all their lives and never be able to please God. Are you seeing the problems with, with, with wrong teachings? So he says, till we all come in the unity of the faith. In John 10, 16, the Bible says, and other shepherd, sorry, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. And there would be one flock and one shepherd. The only way to achieve one flock, that is where the whole church of Christ is united, is to be united in message. Are you learning something? Is to be united in message. Because we can't be building another person of protein and we say, we are, we are, are you getting what I'm teaching you? And we say we are united. No, we can't. In John 17, 21, it says that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. He wants that unity, but it starts with unity in the word. In 1 Corinthians 1, 1, the apostle Paul says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and sustains our brother to the church of God which is at Corinth. He called the church in a whole region. The church of God. Are you learning something? In verse 10, it says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus, that you all do what? Speak the same thing. Are you seeing that? That we all do what? Speak the same thing. And that there be no division among you. But that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Are you learning something? Next verse. It says, For it has been declared to me about, about some of you 
by them which are of the house of Chloe, he called out the person, you know, the people that he was talking about. He says that they are contentions amongst you. Next verse. Now this I say, that every one of you said, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Next verse. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? It was Paul that was writing. Next verse. I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius. Next verse. Lest any of you should say that I am baptized in my own name. I think it's explanatory what he was doing. I'm of this denomination. I'm of that. But what is more important? Christ. Hallelujah. That you all agree. We, we are to be in one mind. And that's what unity of the faith is. The faith is definite. Romans chapter 16. Verse 17. Now I urge you, brethren, not those who cause division and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you learned. Guys, what I'm teaching you today is that no matter the history of the church, that's why I did the history for you, there is something called the message of Christ. How do we know how to reach God? God sent his son to reveal himself to us. How do we know what he wants? He taught apostles. How do we know what he taught them? They wrote it in the epistles. Their letters. Meaning no matter what denomination you're from or how you were brought up, when you study the word of God, compare it with what is going on today. The problem is that when you argue with people, you're not arguing with the word, you're arguing with their pastor who taught them. And that's why they will never listen to you. But we must let scripture be the authority of what we believe. We must let scriptures lead the way. He says, call out those who are changing what you've learned. Meaning I taught you something. That's the problem with the church in Galatia. In Galatia, rather. He said, well, are you so foolish that you didn't, like, that, that you started in faith and you want to end in work? He says, if anyone comes and teaches you another gospel, different from the gospel that I taught you, let him be cursed. Meaning that it was like, even if I come. He said, if, even if any angel comes to teach you something different. If we've given to you that salvation is by faith, Jesus and Christ Jesus alone. Hold on to that. Hold on to what you received from here. Hold on to what you've learned. And don't let anybody contradict that. Can I tell you something? You would not be popular for it. Even this church we face persecution just on starting. Already. <laughs> we just started and we're already facing persecution. But you will not be popular for it. But that's what God sent me to do. You know, people thought, oh, when we, when we get to Canada, we're going to get people who will help us. I'm like, eh. you might not count on it because we don't agree the same things. I get what I'm saying. Sometimes people would want you to compromise just for the help. But I said, no. We were few and we bought everything and we started doing our services. I don't know how, but we did. I get what I'm teaching you. People would want you to compromise. It is for those who, who are such do not serve the Lord for their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. It says for your obedience has become known to all. 
Therefore, I'm glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. We are united in doctrine. We can experience unity of the faith with a church in Asia if we preach the same message. That's unity of the faith. It's not just about holding hands with the church next door, hi, and we don't know. If you don't believe the important things that our faith teaches, we're not in unity of the faith. Hallelujah. Are you learning something this morning? When you understand this, you see that the problem is not many churches, it's many denominations. Because to take the world, we have to be many churches but not many different messages. Someone recommended Vera to us to come here because he doesn't have a church here. The only reason why he can do that is because we have the same message. I don't have a problem recommending someone to go to another church if the message is right. That's, that's, what, that's what I'm teaching you. That it's about the message. It's about the message. It's important. We can support. If a new church is coming here today and I'm sure of what is preaching, we will give money to them to start. If we have people who would ask to help them because I believe in what you're preaching and it's from the word of God. But the problem is that not many people have kept to the pure integrity of the word. So what we're going to do is we're going to prove them wrong. That by preaching the word of God, your church will grow and you will grow in quality, not just in quantity. I'm telling you, we've been preaching for how long now? Not many, not many churches have such a lengthy time for sermons. Not many. And I'm never sorry for it. <laughs> I'm never, because that's how you're going to grow. That's how you're going to grow. That's how you're going to get better. I remember the first time in the online community we said, we're going to pray three hours every Friday. We were like, is it possible? We've been doing it for over three years now. Every Friday. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. <laughs> Don't be scared. It's very important. Go to 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Let me teach you what you're going to do. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. Listen, this might be the most important sermon you've heard. <laughs> because you have to know how to identify where to be, where to call home. He says, and the things that you have heard of me. Can we, can we read it, everybody? Who is, who is speaking here? Paul? To who? One of the church in Timothy. I'm joking. Someone said that. <laughs> All right. Paul to Timothy. Timothy was his disciple. He said, let's read together once ago. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach other? This is how the gospel is spread. The same things you learn, commit to the next person. Who will commit to the next person? Who will commit to the next person? That's how we must grow today. And that's why discipleship must be one of the strongest attributes of any church. You must have a strong discipleship culture. Every Sunday, let your people come here and they are trained on how to be students of the word. That's how they will know. So it's easy for us to know what we believe and teach because we emphasize it every time. I get what I'm saying. And that's what we must do. 
as the church of Christ. The unity of the faith is God's overarching desire for his people. Are you learning something? I'll begin to round up. I'll round up with this. One of my spiritual daughters asked me once, she said, Sir, is it possible for us to achieve this truth today? I was, I was a bit slow to respond because humans are humans and humans are not perfect meaning people will make mistakes meaning different things will happen to people meaning this, the devil might have his way in, in, in some assemblies but I believe we can try and we can do our best to, to ensure that what we have listen, we might not agree on some things that are light-weighted, but we must agree on the core, meaning the nature of God, we must agree, the Trinity, I'll tell you why, because it affects other, th- other, other things, if Jesus is not truly the Trinity, then if God is not tripart, then it affects our theology on the Son and the Spirit. It affects if Jesus is fully God as well. Do you understand what I'm saying? It affects every other thing. So the nature of God, we must be in agreement. The nature of Scripture, meaning that Scripture is God's authoritative word. Inerrant, meaning there's no error. And it's the ultimate guideline, we must agree. Amen. The nature of Jesus in the salvation plan, we must agree. Born of a virgin, Fully God, fully man, sinless. We must agree. You see what I'm saying? Call. These things are called to salvation. So we must agree. The death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, we must agree. The return of Christ, we must agree. And that salvation is by faith and faith alone, we must agree. Now, there are many subtopics under these six things I've said. But around the core message of the Bible, we must agree. You see the rest. Head covering, communion, water baptism. Enjoy. <laughs> I, I, I'm not too strict on, on those. Because even if you do water baptism or not, as long as you believe in Christ by faith and faith alone, I'm okay. Meaning your eternal destination is not in jeopardy. So water or no water? Can do we can demonize about that because many people who even do water baptism today know that it's not the way to be saved. They only say it's for public declaration of what has happened in your heart. So on those things we might you know cover your head or not. Um, what else is there that is usually argued about women in ministry? You know we can go front and back on that. But you see the core. Let's be united. Hallelujah. Let's be united. You see the apostles did not take it lightly. This is the last example I'll give as we round up. The Apostle Paul called Peter out in Scripture because of this thing. So what happened? Peter was fine eating with Gentiles. Then Jews came around. Then Peter said he removed himself for fear of the Jews. So he he put himself at the side for fear of the Jews. Then Paul called him. You cannot, he wrote, he wrote in the letter, it's, you cannot be doing that. Like, I, I called Peter to his face. 
that you can't be doing this. Because if you know that Jesus has brought salvation to Gentiles as well, then why are you hiding? And so it's important that we know that we cannot just pass by. We must also learn to speak up. Do you hear what I said? We must learn to what? To speak up. For the love of God. Don't because of friendship or to save face or any of these things compromise on the truth of the word of God. Amen. Don't compromise on the truth of the word of God. We're going to pray, praying for the church of Christ generally. We're going to pray that, Lord, we declare that true unity of the faith becomes commonplace. That the word of God in its purity takes preeminence. That the heart of men of God is touched by the spirit of God for them to hold on to the truth of the word of God and the word of God. And you're going to pray as well that in your own capacity as well, that by the strength of the spirit, you are able to witness the true message of Christ without compromise. Can you begin to pray wherever you are?